One of life's greatest questions is what happens to us after we die? Is death the end or a new beginning? Welcome to the Round Trip Death Podcast. In this show, we listen to first-hand accounts of people who have gone beyond the veil and return to talk about it. We are excited to have with us today Sharon Milliman from beautiful West Virginia. What does it look like outside your window today? It's sunny, but breezy and um, chilly, <laughs> really chilly. For whenever your people are listening to this, we're recording in November of 2022. So I imagine it's getting a little chilly there. But did you grow up in that area, Sharon? I've lived here for over 50 years. So uh, from about 10 years old on, I have lived here. Okay. Well, people are going to get their money's worth out of this today because normally we feel very happy and grateful to be able to talk with someone who has had one near-death experience. And Sharon... You've had a few more than that, plus some other experiences that people would call near-death experiences with lightning. We'll get into that later on. But um, if you don't mind, let's start with when you were a girl about 13 years old. What happened to you? Um, My parents took us, uh, wanted us to take swimming lessons, and so we went to the local Y, and we were taking swimming lessons. And the instructor wanted me to dive headfirst into the 10-foot section of the pool. And I was terrified. I just had a horrible feeling about doing that. And I watched all the other kids do it. They went in, they came out, everybody was fine. And I, I was the last one, and I just couldn't do it. There was just no way. And so my instructor said, you're either going to do this dive or I'm going to throw you in. And he threw me in. Yeah, that's a teaching style I don't think they use nowadays. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Sink or swim, where that saying really came from. Okay, he picked you up and threw you in. Yes, he did. Okay. And then I'm sure he was your lifeguard and took care of you. No, he was not. <laughs> what happened? Uh, well, I sunk to the bottom after I struggled for quite a while or what seemed like quite a while. I'm sure it was only, you know, a minute or two, but it was <laughs> time just seemed to stop and I was just struggling. And um, I was able to, once I got onto the bottom of the pool, I wasn't breathing anymore. But at that time, I was able to see this brilliant light and the brilliant light kept getting closer and closer and closer and then I heard what sounded like a metal door slam. And it was the lifeguard that was taking care of the middle-aged kids that was on the other side of the pool that had jumped in to get me. Um, the, the man who threw me in, uh, people were yelling at him, jump in, jump in and get her. And he was just frozen. He couldn't move. And so it was the other the other man had jumped in and got me and was doing CPR and, and um, got, me, got me back. And um, So you saw a brilliant light. Did you leave your body or anything? Um, I did. And I 
was kind of hovering above it, I guess, I could see everything that was happening all around the pool. I could hear everything everyone was saying, all the screaming, um, people saying the man's name who threw me in, said, go in and get her. Um, I saw my mom, who was in the balcony um, above the pool um, where all the parents were sitting, and she was leaning over the banister, and she was screaming, and the look of horror on her face. And so while all of this stuff was going on, I'm on laying flat on the bottom of the pool, and that's when I saw the light. And at first it was real small, and then it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I don't know if I was going up to it or it was coming down to me, but it was within inches of touching me when I heard that metal door slam. And that's when the the uh, other lifeguard had jumped in and was pulling me out. And so people have asked me before what the metal door was, and I know that was my soul just slamming back into my body. So that was pretty much that experience. <laughs> you know, at 13 years old, I think it would be difficult to process that. What happened later? I mean, first of all, did you have to go to the hospital or did you just come back and you were fine? And secondly, did you tell people about seeing this light and things? Um, no, the, the lifeguard and the medics that were there took care of me and I was okay. I mean, I came back breathing all right. Um, they watched me for a while to make sure I was okay. Um, I didn't want to go to the hospital. I was not going to go. Um, my mom, she was so terrified about what had happened that we never discussed it. Um, I had no idea what happened. I didn't know how to talk about it, especially, um, to, to my parents who were just terrified of what happened. Um, I, I, all I know is that I didn't want to go back. And I, to this day, I don't know how to swim. I won't get in water over my head. <laughs> it, it's just, uh, um, it was beautiful, but traumatic at the same time. Oh, absolutely. PTSD. Big time. But that light what was so wonderful about that light was that I felt such love coming through that light. I felt such warmth and compassion and I wasn't scared anymore. I felt, um, it was like, I wanted to go with that light. I wanted to be in that light. Um, so there was, there was no, I wasn't hurting anywhere. I, I was warm and, I always thought people who drowned would be cold, but I wasn't cold. I was warm and cozy in that light. Do you remember feeling anything else? <sighs> well, immense love, like I'd never, like I'd never felt before. Um, and I just wanted to be there. I wanted to go into that light. And I was kind of a little miffed <laughs> that, that, that that the door slammed and I was back in my body again. And then when they were doing the resuscitation, it, it, it was quite painful. Uh, you know, it wasn't fun. I just wanted to be back in that light, but I didn't know what it was. I had no idea. 
and difficult to process, I imagine. Well, now let's talk about lightning because you have an unusual relationship with lightning. <laughs> like nobody I have heard before. Tell me about the first time you got struck by lightning. Um, okay. The first time, uh, this was just something that happened every other year um, until I was 43. So the first time I was on a computer, um, I lived in a big Victorian house. And so when it rained, the I couldn't tell it was raining out. I couldn't hear it through the big curtains and stuff that was on the window. So I'm sitting in the back room um, and I'm on the computer. I had my hands on the keyboard and it was thunderstorming out. And there was, we had the old fashioned windows that had the weights in them. So there was a crack between the window and the windowsill. And this ball of fire comes through the slats and it just rolls across the room just like this across the room and then um it smacked my hands on the computer or on the keyboard and it fried the keyboard and I could feel that that zapping sensation from my fingertips all the way up to my shoulders and into my neck that's how powerful it was but I had never seen anything like that before until that time. And it was literally a ball of, looked like a ball of fire that just came through the window and across the room. And it didn't dissipate until it hit my hands. Then it was like, poof, it was gone. But it was inside of me. <laughs> so I'll tell everybody, Google ball lightning if you haven't heard of this kind of phenomenon before. And I thought we were safe from lightning in our houses. Aren't we supposed to be grounded in a house? Um, yes, you should be. But I don't know. It's, it's a rare phenomenon from what I understand. It doesn't happen very often, but it does happen occasionally. Now, did this lightning kill you this time? Or was this just you felt a big jolt? I felt a big jolt and clear up to my shoulders and my neck. It was just like, um, like if you have a um, exposed wire and you don't know it and you put your hand down there and you feel that jolt, but you can't take your hand off the wire. Your hand is stuck to this wire and you're just like, you know, that's what it felt like. Um, maybe times 10. It was, it did not kill me. But it was very painful, and the pain lasted for a while. Okay. All right. Tell us about your second near-death experience. Um, my second near-death experience was, um, well, that was actually the fourth lightning strike that um, happened, that caused my fourth near-death experience, or my second near-death experience. Okay. So let me make sure I'm straight. You were struck by lightning three times, didn't die, but then the fourth strike you did. Right. The first two times was ball lightning. Then there was a, another strike where uh, the lightning actually hit the ground and then went through a power cord. And I was holding a curling iron next to a sink. I didn't know it was raining then either. And um, it 
hit me that way. And then the fourth time was what actually killed me. Um, I had my second near-death experience. All right. Tell us about that one. Was that the fork lightning too? That was the fourth lightning, yes. And were you inside or outside this time? Um, actually, I was sitting on the back steps behind our house. There were concrete steps. And there was a, like a little roof over me. And I was talking on a cordless phone. And it began to rain. And then I heard this um, kind of a, a rumble sound. And then there was a loud crack. And I saw the lightning bolt coming out of the sky and it hit my right shoulder. And when it did that, it passed through my body, leaving char marks on the concrete steps. And then it traveled underneath the house and hit the transformer that was in front of our house. Once the light, when the lightning hit me, I just kind of, I felt this burning, searing, agonizing pain for like a minute. And then I pop up out of my body, just like peeling a banana and I'm out of my body, and I'm, there's no pain, there's nothing. I'm laying there crumpled on the ground, but yet I'm alive, and I'm not hurting anymore. And I go into my house, and at this point, I had no idea I was dead. It didn't register in my mind that I was dead. So I go into my house, and I look around in the kitchen, and I see everything had this burnt gold look to it. And I looked at the curtains on my windows and they were not my curtains. And then I go into the dining room and I noticed the furniture in my dining room is not my stuff. And I started to worry because I didn't understand what had happened. It was my house, but nothing in it was mine. So I continue and I go into the um, living room and I hear this old time radio show playing and it sounded like something, you know, back in the 20s or 30s. And I couldn't find the radio anywhere. I didn't know what in the world was going on, but I kept hearing this sound. And the furniture in the living room wasn't my stuff either. And I started to panic about that time because I couldn't understand what in the world. And just about the time I totally, completely lost it, there was this huge, formless, loving presence that appeared. And this presence just filled me full of love and peace and calm. And it was bigger than anything that I, I can't even adequately describe that kind of love. Um, it was even more than what I felt when I drowned. Or it was similar to, but it, this time it was much bigger. And what happened after that was this loving presence and I started moving laterally. We didn't go up. We didn't go down, but we went sideways. And we went through these, at great speed, through these pink and gold clouds. They were the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. But we were moving very rapidly through those clouds. And at the end of the clouds, there was a magnificent garden. And we had just stopped at the very entrance of the garden. I could see the colors. They were so rich. They were so vibrant. They were, the air was so crisp and sweet. And um, I could hear birds singing. And it looked like the most beautiful spring day that you could possibly imagine. And 
just as we we started to move a little bit into the garden, there were two men who uh, greeted me. And they were wearing um, this um, tightly woven ivory linen cloth, um, you know, like a shirt, lounge pants. And at first I thought they were angels because they were glowing. And then it hit me when they smiled at me. It was like, oh, my gosh, I know who they were. They were my two brothers who had died when they were babies. And I was actually a baby when they died. So... It was, it was amazing to see them. And when they smiled, they looked just like my dad when he was a young man. How old did they seem at that time? Um, late 20s, early 30s. Okay. How did you know who it was, who they were? It was like, as soon as they smiled, it was an, an, a deep knowing or a divine something that told me or I don't know but I just knew and it was I was right they were my two brothers and we had a wonderful family reunion but it was this it was like oh my god I know who you are and it it was like a a joyful uh blissful sensation of I know you you know um and I kept telling them that they, that dad would be so proud of them, that I really wished that he could see them now because he would really be proud of them. And do you know who the other being was that was with you this whole time? I knew that it was God, but God was formless. He had no form at that time. And the love that came out of him was so huge, so big. And even though I couldn't see him, I could feel him. Um, and I knew he was big. He was just huge, bigger than my house. But it was like so intense, so strong, that love that was just beyond amazing. Tell me what else you saw as you looked around. Um, as I... Okay, so my two brothers were, were with me, and this loving, huge, loving presence was stepped from beside me to behind me. And we moved in a little bit further into the garden, and I could see um, flowers everywhere, and, like, the reds were redder, the pinks were pinker, and there were colors I didn't even have words for. I saw a stream and the stream had looked like it had a bazillion diamonds just sparkling in this, this beautiful water. I, I heard music and it was like really what I call big music, um, like several orchestras put together and choirs put together. There's, so there were, like many stringed instruments and bells and drums and, and uh, pianos and all kinds of different instruments. I felt like I had an uh, ivy bottle of knowledge hooked to me, that I was being infused with all of this knowledge. And what I learned was that 
Each blade of grass has a vibration. Colors have a vibration. The water going over the rocks has a vibration. The leaves on the trees have a vibration. And when you put all of those sounds together, it sounds like big music, like orchestra-type music. And there's everything in heaven, every, every single thing, and every person in heaven is singing praises to God. And it was huge, just huge music. It was so beautiful. And then um, my two brothers, they, like I said, they were still with me. And this huge loving presence was there. And then there were some other people that gathered around me. And they were from all different time periods. And I knew I knew them, but I didn't know from where I knew them from. And they were like the some of the women were in beautiful gowns and some of the men were in fancy suits. And then there were people that were in um, different kinds of clothes. Some were in jeans some, like we wear today. Some were in, um, you know, lounge clothes or whatever, you know, different time period clothing. And they were all at the, around the same ages as my brothers were. Um, there was nobody that was there that was, you know, over mid-30s. Um, everybody was strong and healthy and happy and rosy-cheeked and just, you know, it, beautiful. I didn't see any old people or sick people or, or anything like that. Um, now my brothers had to tell me that I died cause I didn't know. <laughs> so when they told me that I had died, I was like, well, if this is death, then I can, I can do this. This is okay. I can do this. I, I'm not afraid. And then as all these people gathered around me, um, it was time for my life review. And the way that happened was it was like watching an old-fashioned black and white movie on an old-fashioned movie reel and everybody gathered around me for love and support and I could feel this love it was just and the acceptance was beyond words so there was no there was no embarrassment or shame or anything from this no not not at all it was just total love and acceptance and there was no um so I'm watching this movie, this black and white movie on an old-fashioned movie rail, and it was from the time I was born until that day that I died, and there was not an ounce of judgment at all, just love coming from everywhere. And I thought, <laughs> I asked my brothers because I thought something was missing, and I asked them and they just kind of smiled at me. They didn't really answer me. They just kind of, I thought, are you really serious? You're going to play the brother card on me here and uh -huh. not tell me. But, but what I realized was as I was watching this, I didn't judge me. God didn't judge me. None of the people around me judge, judged me. And so there was no judgment. It was just like over real quick. And I just thought, wow. At first, when I thought my life was boring because it was over so quick. I'm curious, now that you've had time to think about this for a few years, why do you think that life review happens? Why do you think you were shown yours? Um, so that I 
I could see how I had acted, the things that I had said, the things that I had done, um, and how they not only affected me, but how they affected other people. And I learned that God does not do the judging. We do the judging. We look at that and we say, and, and I've also found that it's the little things that we do. It's not the big things. It's the little things like putting your hand on someone, sharing a sweater or stealing someone's Easter basket or whatever it is. It's just the, the little things that make the difference. So did the- so did that cause you to be somewhat of a different person when you came back? Absolutely. I didn't want to ever hurt anyone ever with my words or with my actions or with my thoughts. Um, and I don't, I'm, I'm very, very careful about what I say. And I take full responsibility for what comes out of my mouth. And so if I think that I've hurt someone, I, I immediately apologize to that person or I apologize to God. And just, you know, I don't, I want to leave people happy, not hurting. And the, the whole experience changed my life. Completely and totally. I mean, I'm not the person I was before. Sure. All right. Was there any more to it than that? Yes, quite a bit. <laughs> um, okay, keep going. Um, so after I had my life review, I was walking around and I was actually able to see my, my senses were so heightened. and I was so aware that I could see 360 degrees without even turning my head. I didn't have to move in order to see minute details of where I was at. And I could see uh, buildings in the distance. It was the glo- what I call the glorious city. And there's a golden wall that surrounds the city, which I took to mean that there, that's the barrier. I couldn't go past that barrier. And if I did, then I wouldn't be coming back. But I saw buildings that were made of alabaster and they had columns and archways and the architecture was very, very detailed. In the center of the city, I saw a huge round building that had a golden dome on the top. On the outskirts of the city, I could see this, what appeared to be what I would call a spiritual hospital. There were pools, healing pools, and all of these buildings were were like the the whitest marble you ever saw. And I saw um, what that building was for was for people who died traumatic deaths or died quickly and had no idea where they were at or what was going on. And so there's mentors and teachers and angels and loved ones who are specifically trained to deal with traumatic deaths and so forth. And they are taken, these people go there and they are gently brought to the awareness of what's happened to them. And I saw a place where babies and children go when they die. And it's the same thing. They are loved and cared for by 
all kinds of people. And these there were all these kids at various ages and stages, and they were running around laughing and playing and having a wonderful time. Um, there were rolling plains and valleys and hills where our animals go. Um, I saw two houses. One was sitting on a bluff, and there was an ocean below it. And the ocean was crashing up on the waves and the house was made of stones that just glistened in the, in the sunlight. And there was another house a few, uh, you know, down a ways. And it was like, almost looked like a, <laughs> a mini castle. Uh, it was made out of the castle bricks or whatever, of uh, stones. And it had a, um, a rose garden in the back. Um, so as I'm standing there and my brothers are with me and this presence is with me, there is a grove of trees over in the corner and I see Jesus and he walks out of the grove of trees and he comes over to me and I was in such awe of him, his beauty and my brothers disappeared. I have no idea where they went. <laughs> I only had eyes for Jesus, so I didn't pay attention to where they took off to. But he said to me, and this was my first clue, I was going to be coming back, but I, it went over my head. I didn't pick up on it. But he said, um, I love you. I'm with you. I will always be with you. Don't be afraid. And while he was saying this to me, we were walking over to this wooded glen and there was a log because there was a stream there. And then there was a log that was laying down in this beautiful wooded area. And you could see the sunbeams coming through the trees and the pine cones and pine needles and little blue flowers. And so I sit down on the log and when I sit down on the log, Jesus walks away and I turn, and there's this man sitting on the other end of the log. And he's kind of, you know, doodling in the pine needles in the dirt. He's cut the stick, and he's just playing around with the whatever's there. And we start talking. And I knew that this man was God. And that before he was that huge loving presence and didn't take form. But this time he had taken on a form of a beautiful, uh, loving, compassionate man. And so he was just talking to me and he asked me, what would you do if it was just me and you? And I didn't understand the question. So I was like, what? And he said, what would you do if it was just me and you? And I still didn't understand what he was getting at. So he said, he smiled at me and he said, well, come with me. So we got up and we walked into a clearing in this wooded area. And he kind of waved his arm. And when he did, he opened up the sky and I could see the vastness of the universe. I saw the planets and the sparkling stars and this rainbow colored gases but there wasn't any people there was no cars or houses or trees or animals or nothing it was just all that and I looked at him and I said if it's all of this and just me and you you'd be sick of me after the first 10 minutes with my questions and my chatter and you wouldn't like me anymore 
And when I said that, he threw his head back and he started laughing. And his laugh was so contagious that I started laughing because I knew that sounded like a really stupid thing to say. And so I started laughing too. And then we both went and sat back down on the log. And he asked me a third time, what would you do if it was just me and you? And then he said, no parents, no husband, no children, no friends, nothing, just me and you. Well, I didn't quite know, again, how to answer that. And so I don't know if he put this in my head or, or where this came from, because I've never read the Koran in my life. I've never picked it up. I've never read anything about it. I don't know anything about that tradition. But I said, God... Your hundredth name is God is everywhere, God is nowhere, and God is in me. He said, yes, that's right. And I said, as I was looking at this big, huge oak tree that was in front of us, I could see the detail of the bark, and I could see the roots beneath the ground, and I could see how the roots were pulling the nutrients out of the dirt, going up into the tree, into the leaves, and I could see what the leaves were doing and how they were making food for the tree. And they were also cleaning the air, and we breathe the air. And so everything is connected, and everything depends upon everything else. And so everything is important. And um, so then all of a sudden I started thinking about my parents, and I said, God, you made my parents. Oh, well, I, at first I said about the tree, I said, God, you're in this tree. You made this tree. You are in it. So when I see this tree, I see you. And he said, yes, that's right. Then I started thinking about my parents. And I said, God, you made my parents. You are in my parents. So when I see my parents, I see you. And he said, yes. And he kept saying, and. And so he was trying to get me to think further. And so I thought about my children, and I said the same thing. You know, you made them, you're in them. So when I see them, I see you. And he said, yes. But then I went, started thinking about this people who hurt other people. And I said, God, there are people in this world that I don't really like very much because they hurt other people. I said, but you made them. You're in them. So when I see them, I see you. And he said, yes. Then he said, I have a question for you. And I was like, okay. And he said, when you look in the mirror, what do you see? And I, my first answer would have been not much because my whole adult life I had been told I was fat, I was ugly, I was stupid. I wasn't much at all. And I had no self-esteem. And so I... I thought about that, and then I thought, that's not the right answer you give God. <laughs> the creator of everything, you just don't say that. So I told him, I said, God, you made me. You're in me. So when I look in the mirror, I see you. And he was really happy. He smiled, and his eyes sparkled, and he was really happy that I said that. Then it was... He was telling me that, you know, I don't make mistakes. I don't make junk. 
I made you for a reason. And you are not all of the things that the world tells you you are. You are what I tell you you are. And I needed that. That was huge, a huge thing for me at the time. That's a lot. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Is there even more than that? Uh, a little bit. <laughs> Go ahead and wrap it up. Let's hear it. Okay. So after we got done talking, um, I was able to um, think for a minute after that huge revelation that just was in my mind and my heart. Um, these two angels came and they were dressed in these beautiful ornate gowns or robes. And they took me to this lake that was very calm. It was like looking into glass. And I leaned over and I looked down into the water and I could see the earth below. What I saw were future world events that are actually taking place now. Um, so back in 2005, it was like, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is crazy. Um, I saw things that uh, stemmed from or were a result of the 9-11 attacks. So I saw things like, I, I saw so much, it's hard to talk about all of it, but it was the bombings and women and children being used as human shields. It was, you know, terrorist attacks that had taken place in different parts of the country. I saw um, this black cloud that hangs over uh, governmental capitals at different parts of the world. Um, I saw earthquakes and tsunamis and all kinds of things. I saw a lot of um, uh, riots that were taking place in the street. I just saw a lot of the craziness of the world that we're actually seeing now. And I do have a document that has everything on it, but I don't really talk about that. This <laughs> is scary. I saw uh, artificial intelligence and I kept saying, oh my gosh, that's RoboCop. Because I didn't know yeah. what else to call it you know it was like this is all weird looking all of this is really bad and it, it I was frightened by it but yet distant from it at the same time and the angels were saying this does not have to happen these things don't have to happen you all have control over whether this happens or not by the choices you make and you can change these course of events by changing the way you think and the things you do and acting out of selfishness and that kind of thing. So they were very clear that what I was seeing did not have to happen, but it has happened. So we apparently not have changed yet. And by that, did they mean you personally, Sharon, could change those things or humankind no. as a whole would have to humankind change? Humankind as a whole. They talked about the hu collective hu human um, selfishness, uh, the collective. It, it wasn't, you know, because I even asked, I said, how in the world can me do a thing about any of this? <laughs> I can't stop it. 
And that's when they were very um, clear about saying it's not, you know, I can change my little part of the world. You can change your little part of the world. And someone else can change their little part of the world by doing loving acts of kindness and caring about others. That can raise vibration. That can, you know, that does matter. But it, it, if you change your part of the world, I change my part of the world, someone else changes theirs, and on and on and on, that's what they were talking about. You know, we can't, I can't change the whole universe. God can, but I can't. So it takes every one of us working together to make a positive, um, loving, positive choices to change these course of events because these events are caused by by um evil intention um and negative um selfish acts that cause these things to happen they want power money greed whatever it is that's what causes these things to happen you know so we have to counter that by doing loving caring um things yeah so at some point you came back. Were you given a choice or were you just told time for you to go back? I got the boot. <laughs> I got, I, oh, sad. I know. <laughs> I got no. If I had a conversation with God about coming back, I don't remember that. I remember so much of else, but not that particular conversation. So it probably wasn't very nice. <laughs> but um as soon as I saw the events, I um, just come flying back into my body, just slamming back into my body in the backyard. And um, I did get medical attention, and I have a right bundle branch block in my heart and seizures from the lightning. But other than that, I'm okay. Wow, okay. <laughs> um, I know you have had two other NDEs. A uh, few years later, and those were from um, various medical kinds of things, and we don't need to get into all that detail, but were there any, was there anything in these other NDEs that was in addition to what you saw in this first major NDE or, um, you know, or just anything else that you learned? Yes, actually, my third one, I went uh, I was in, it was in November of 2016 and I had a bowel blockage and went into surgery. And during the surgery, I died from the, um, the breathing tube. Uh, I aspirated and um, so I left my body and I go up in the corner of the room because I, well, first I hovered over and saw what they were doing. And I just thought that was the grossest thing because I saw their hands. <laughs> and it was like, yeah. okay, that's, I'm done. So I went into the corner of the room and I sat there for a few minutes. And then there was this rainbow colored, looked like a whirlpool going the other direction. So I just went right up inside of that. And I ended up back in heaven in the same place I was before. And I noticed the landmarks. I, I remembered the golden wall. Um, I, there was a field stone wall that had pink roses growing up and over it. And I saw it. Now, the vantage point that I was standing this time, 
I was not in the garden, but I could see where the garden was. And there were people pouring out of this garden where I had been before. This time I'm standing next to the golden wall and it's so big and so tall that there was no way I could get jump it or get through it. And it didn't dawn on me just to walk a couple steps down to my left and there's the gates and they're open wide. And there was this little brown and white beagle puppy and he was jumping at my feet and he wanted me to play with him. So I leaned down and I'm playing with this little beagle and I didn't, you know, he was so cute. And so there was, you know, a lot of interaction between me and him. But at the same time, I look up and I see these people coming through this um, beautiful meadow, tall grass and wildflowers uh, from the garden. They're walking through the meadow and then they go into the gates that are open and they go inside. Now, as I'm standing there, I'm hearing dishes clanging and people talking and there's music playing. And it sounds like somebody's getting ready to have a big party of some sort. Um, two particular, uh, I saw men, women, children, all ages, sizes, um, races, traditions, whatever. And they were all going in there into the uh, gates. And I saw, specifically, I saw two Arab men and they were wearing their, uh, the, the robes and the, the, I don't know what you call the things on their heads. And they were laughing with each other. And I noticed that everybody that was walking through the field had angels with them who were taller and more illuminated than they were. So everybody had their own angel. And um, then I saw a man who looked like he was from New York or, you know, a big city. And he was a construction worker. He still had his helmet on and tool belt that had tools tucked down in it. And he walked past me. And then there was two people that I actually knew. Well, one of them I knew. Um, and so that kind of surprised me. It was a, a younger man who had died years ago, who was the son of a, a friend of mine. And um, he was accompanying an older gentleman that I knew was his father. And as he, when he walked up to me, with his dad, I, I smiled at him and I said, oh, my God, I know you. And he just grinned at me and nodded. And he and his dad walked in through the gates into the city. And um, now there was there was more to this, but to, to, to keep it short, the, what was important was that um, I, first of all, recognized everything that I had seen because I'd seen it in my second one. Uh, my spirit went back into my body. I am laying there on a breathing machine. And when I start to come to, the nurse who was beside me unhooked all the machines and whatever. And once I was well enough to go to my room, I pick up my phone to, uh, to give a message to someone. And I see that there has been a message from a joint friend of me and the woman who lost her son years ago. And apparently she had lost her husband that day while I was in surgery. And I said, I know because I saw him with his son 
and they are together and they went into the city together and he's okay. And when I told my, my daughter, when she came to see me in the hospital, I told her about this puppy that I saw and she was like, mom, we had to call the police on this guy that lives down the street from us who we saw him beating his beagle puppy to death. And the man did get arrested. But I told her, uh, and I knew nothing about the beagle because I didn't have a beagle puppy. I didn't know anybody that did. So when I told her, it made perfect sense. And I told her, I said, the beagle, the puppy's fine. He's happy. He's fine. He's not hurting. He's okay. Yeah. Lots of comforting messages there. Right. Yeah. Anything new from experience number four? Well, um, that was a void experience. And I had, um, I, I was always afraid of that particular place because I'd been on the different groups on Facebook and whatever. And people talk about it all the time. And it scared me. And I thought, I don't ever want to go there. But I ended up there. And to me, it was not scary. I knew there were other souls there, but what they were doing was their business, not mine. And I, at the time, I just, I was so tired and I was uh, very depressed and I just needed time to rest. And what I was wrapped in this, um, I'd fallen asleep after they gave me the medicine and the next thing I know, I'm rising up, 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 three ups. And then it's like, I feel like I'm a helium balloon and I'm floating and I'm up, up, up. And, but I'm wrapped in this beautiful black velvet blanket and I'm encased in this safety, comforting, uh, dark, restful, whatever this was. And occasionally I could peek through the blanket and I could see this brilliant light and it looked like stars. Um, but I thought, no, I, I'd rather stay in the blanket. I like it here better. It's, it was so comforting and so soothing. And I was just suspended there for a while. And then I, when I talk about that huge loving presence, the huge loving presence was standing over me and I could see who it was and it was God again. And he was huge, 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 huge. And he was talking about, he was either talking to my soul or he was talking to another individual about me. Um, I could hear the conversation, but it was like, I was not a part of the conversation. I was just in this blanket and I was being held God's huge hands. And he was just holding me suspended there in comfort and love. And I heard him say, let's not make a hasty decision. Let's think about this for a little while. You're tired. You're sad. Just let me hold you. I'll hold you. We'll think about this because if it was left up to me, I would have gone right then but that's not what he wanted he wanted me to think about it and after he said that it was I felt like a vacuum was sucking me back down 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 three downs and I was back in the hospital room and I had a non-breather oxygen mask on my face and the lights were so bright and the nurses the doctor was standing next to my bed screaming at me (laughs) there were nurses everywhere And it was like, oh, my word, 
let me go back where it was dark and quiet and peaceful and loving and you and I'm back here now oh my gosh <laughs> so that's that <laughs> well Sharon that's a lot of experiences that's amazing most people uh, that you're sharing this earth with have not been struck by lightning even once most people have not had a near-death experience even one of them you've had four of each yeah. Here's my last question for you. Why? Why do you why do you think you've had these experiences? Um, I don't know why me, but I'm using the opportunity to tell people about God and about his love um that there there is no death, that you know, only the physical body dies, but the part of you that makes you who you are does not die. Every single person that's ever been created is loved so much that we are so, so important to all of creation. And if we weren't here anymore, then creation changes. And because everything is connected and everything is dependent upon everything else. And I also tell people that you know, God loves us so much that if he stopped thinking about us, he thinks about us 24-7 every day. And if he stopped, even for an instant, we would just no longer be. So we know that we are loved c continuously, no matter what, we are loved and that we are important. And I, I just, I do it for his glory, not mine. And it's not, I don't know why. It happened to me four times. <laughs> maybe I just needed to learn, and it took four times for me to learn, or maybe even more. I don't know. Well, thanks for being with us today and sharing. Well, thank you for having me. It was an honor. If you have had a round-trip death experience, we would love to hear about it. Send an email to eric at roundtripdeath.com. And lastly, if you've found this program uplifting, if it's given you just a little more hope in the future, share it with a friend, hit that follow button, and take a few seconds to write us a review. Until next time, I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next.